get it started. Let's get it started in here. Welcome, everybody. Good evening. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning. Good whenever time you're w- of the day you're watching this. Uh, welcome to episode 10 of Less Rock, More Talk. And we are excited to have you here. Excited to be in your earbuds today. Um, 10 episodes already. It seems like just a couple weeks ago we were starting off on this journey, but we were already 10 weeks in. Uh, first episode of many and uh yeah before we start i'd like to thank the nick robes podcast network for hosting this show and so many other great podcasts that are coming up um the the upcoming podcasts where adam ferguson interviews local school superintendents should be pretty exciting and uh what's what's with you scooby-doo also is the the uh the start the start of the nick robes podcast network so there's a lot of great great stuff going on the nick robes podcast network I would also like to um, thank our sponsors at ChipClips.com for all your Chip Clips needs. Um, so holidays are coming up. Um, as far as as far as you know, when we're recording this episode, we aren't going to specify which holiday. There's always holidays coming up, and you always need some Chip Clips for your half-eaten bags of chips. And ChipClips.com has all of your needs. You don't want to go to Target to get chip clips. You can get trampled by shoppers. Get chip clips from the comfort of your home at chipclips.com. And we're excited to be here. It's just me and uh, my c- cohort today. No special guests. No, n- Nobody to muck up the proceedings. Um, but before, before we start the show, I do have to introduce who my cohort is. Of course, you know him. I've referred to him many times. He is the host of... What's with you, Scooby-Doo? And he is the founder of the Nick Robes podcast. Everybody give it up for Nick Robes. Hi. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know what? Target is such an interesting... Like, chip clips, and it's just a thing of, like, so many things. I'm like, oh, I could probably get that at Target, and I can, but... If you hit Target at the wrong time, yeah, it is harrowing. Like it is, it, you feel like Mufasa as the wildebeests are like trampling towards. Yeah, like a you. Saturday afternoon at Target. <laughs> it is terrifying. You gotta go at like Tuesday night at like nine o'clock at the night. The best. Yeah, because I have to say, like a mostly empty Target yeah. is like a paradise. It's a good experience, but if it's a packed Target, it's like a madhouse. Yeah, empty Target. I'm Julie Andrews on the mountain in Sound of Music, like twirling. You're just like <laughs> racing across the aisles in the shopping cart. The aisles are alive. <laughs> <laughs> trying to do kickflips with the sh- sh- riding the shopping cart. Yeah, I mean, I'm buying face masks that I never use. I'm having a ball. Yep. It's a good time. It is great. Target is great. That's a, actually Target is one of our other sponsors. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm glad we got That's a good get. It is a good get. It's a big get. They were a big fan of our uh 2004 episode. <laughs> uh they loved Chevelle. They're big um... yeah, they're big fans of 3 Days Grace and Chevelle. <laughs> If I were to pick two bands for Target, absolutely. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling nice and energized. I drank an orange vanilla Coke oh. before I got on uh, on. I, I came to your the Nick Rose podcasting recording studios. Was this from a vending machine? No, it was just it was just in my refrigerator. They're my, marketing uh, this shit now. Okay. Yes, they they have orange. They sell orange vanilla Coke, and there's actually a couple different new cokes out there i think there's like a some other kind of vanilla cherry vanilla coke this past summer i was in north carolina and i got a bottle of georgia peach coke 
Yes, just yeah, I think for that's the novelty. One. Yeah, just for the novelty. And uh, it wasn't. Uh, it I never get it again. But I'm glad I got it the first yeah, time. Yeah, I was just in my uh, my refrigerator. One of my parents must have got <laughs> I it. Was in my refrigerator. It was in. I was in my refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. I had fallen asleep there. <laughs> I woke up and I saw an orange vanilla Coke just randomly in the fridge, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a shot. It's the price is right. It was such an interesting way. Like it's interesting how much we've progressed because I feel like I I I vividly remember being in high school and it was like cherry coke is now a thing. Like you know they they have cherry coke in a can. You can go. You can buy it at the store. Whatever. And then they were like, all right, we're doing vanilla coke. And it was yep. like, okay, great. And then all of a sudden there was cherry vanilla coke. And it was like it feels like they're trying to trick us into something. Like yeah. it feels like they're trying to like make us okay. Yeah, something so that something horrible is about to happen, (laughs) and we'll just be like, "Well, at least we have seventeen different kinds of Coca Cola." Yeah, there's normalization happening. Yeah, (laughs) something's happening. I didn't really. uh, My review of Orange Vanilla Coke. uh, This is a soda review podcast as well as a yeah. Why not? Classic rock podcast. It was fine. Yeah, it. I didn't taste the orange. It tasted just like a vanilla Coke. Hmm. It tasted like a vanilla Coke with very slight hints of citrus. Like I didn't taste like. I feel like sweet overpowers citrus. Yeah. It was like maybe like you like just it was like a vanilla coke that somebody like squeezed a little bit of orange rind into. There you go. All yeah, right. but it didn't. I didn't get an orange taste at all. You heard it here first. Yeah, I would not. I would not avo- go out of your way to avoid it or get it. Um, I think the coke also kind of overpowers the orange. Like the it's like two sweets and one. High fructose corn syrup is very aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> so the orange is just kind of like yeah. overridden. All right. If you have one sweet and an orange, the orange will. Can hold its own, but two sweets and an orange. The orange doesn't have a chance. Yeah. I feel like at this point, there has to be like a clip of like Harrison Ford or somebody like being president being like overridden. <laughs> we'll insert that here. Edit. You do your editing magic. Great. Uh, <laughs> so that didn't happen. Uh, so what are we here to do? What is our project? Well, what we're here to do is we are we count down Billboard rock charts from the year 1981 when the Billboard album rock, later to be known as the Billboard, 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 Billboard came out with the well, Billboard, Billboard mainstream rock Billboard, charts. Billboard, yeah, came out with the mainstream rock charts, what is now known as the mainstream rock charts in 1981 to 2012. And that's after that's when Spotify and Apple Music kind of is kind of like defeated the purpose of album rock. Right. We've gone through this a few times, but I, I always forget. The the metric for this is radio play. Radio play. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cla- radio play on rock stations. Mm-hmm. Either classic rock stations or album rock stations or alternative rock stations. This episode we're going to do mainstream album rock. Yeah. yeah mainstream rock. So, classic so- rock. I think they, I mean, I feel like adult, adult contemporaries sometimes factored in, especially some of the lists on the 90s, <laughs> yeah. like are very alternative the, the, the contemporary. God, what was the, the Don... Uh, Don Henley. Don Henley track. Yeah. Whichever that was, like was the two heart episodes of, ago or so. Yeah. Heart of the Matter or... No, it was... Uh, last Worth This Evening. Yep. 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 Last Worth This Evening. That you never spend. Well, he's not on the list, but there is another member of the Eagles on this week's episode. Is Poco? <laughs> Poco, unfortunately, uh, is not on the list this week. All right. Well, we can only hope. We can only hope they'll show up on a future episode. It's interesting because I feel like uh, you see these 
Because we've talked about this so many times about how the decades are kind of transposed about five years. Like when you yeah. think of the 80s, what we think of the 80s is actually probably 85 to 95. Like, yep. And there are these, for lack of a better word, death throes at the yeah. beginning of a decade. So like the beginning of the 90s is sort of the death throes of all the people the who were popular in the 80s. Yep. And the beginning of the 80s is sort of the death throes of all the people who were popular in, in the, the 70s. 70s. Yep. Uh, right, and there's always outliers. There's always like I think almost every episode we've had like that. This person was still popular. This right in this year, <laughs> like uh, Kiss or the Rolling Stones and whatever ninety one or something. Yeah, ninety four. Yeah, yeah, the Rolling Stones showed up a lot on the charts until like ninety four, ninety five, like ninety, which is crazy, like, mid to late nineties. Yeah, that's a healthy career. Yeah, right, and you know, for people... a bunch of very unhealthy people. Sure. <laughs> But people forget, like, the r- classic rock stations would play new songs by the Rolling Stones up until the 90s. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. That- I think they just, in the 2000s, they gave up on playing new songs by classic rock artists. They're like, yeah, you know what? Well, in classic rock, to a certain extent, did not denote, like, a time of music. It denoted a genre of music. Right. Like, a sound, whereas now it is, like, an era. Right. Because, I mean, Pearl Jam shows up on classic rock stations. Right. It's like, oh, music that's old. <laughs> yeah. Like, Three Doors Down Kryptonite, I've heard it on WBLM. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. You know, a lot of people consider me to be the fourth door down. <laughs> <laughs> Foo Fighters are classic rock now. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what... what I'll be interested to see what classic rock radio looks like in 10 years. Like, is are they going to incorporate more 90s and 2000s band? Like, is Nine Inch Nails going to be played on WBLM in 10 years? There's no way in hell. They're, That's because they, they have CYY. CYY will always play Nine Yeah, Inch Nails. well, the alternative business... Yeah, I, wow. I mean... Also, like, what is considered rock, you know? Yeah. I mean, is it always guitars? Like, yeah. can, like, a, syn- a more synthy band be in there? I, I think, mean, Head Like yeah. a Hole is a rock jam. Yeah. I guess. Even though it's got a disco beat. Yeah. yeah. But so, so do a lot of... The Rolling Stones miss you. They play all the yeah. rock goes right. disco songs. That's right. I mean, even uh, uh, I Was Made for Loving You by yep. Kiss that shows is up. a disco that shows, tune. Yep. That shows up sometimes. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting in 10 years what... WBLM's playlist looks like it's, it's our local classic rock station for you. And Frank Anyways. FM. Frank FM. That's true. Rewind. Frank, rewind 100.9. <laughs> Let's just go through all of them. <laughs> it's uh, the soft rock station, the Bay, the new one. Oh, there's a new one? There's soft a new soft rock. rock. Yeah. It's pretty, Is it Yacht I Rock? Like it. Is it all like Steely Dan No, and... it's like just like anything mellow from like 1970 to like Doobie 2000. Brothers. Yeah. Like. Yeah. My girlfriend doesn't like me listening to it in the car. She's like, this is too wimpy. Uh, I hear your voice ever read echoes of love. Did you hear they're reuniting with Michael McDonald this summer for that their 50th anniversary? is great. Is uh, Baxter Skunk going to be in it? I don't Playing know if Skunk still? Baxter's going to be there. He might be busy with his job at the Did Defense Department. Work? What? Yeah, he's like a weapons guy. Oh, my God. He works for the Defense Department. I love the Doobie Brothers so much. <laughs> oh, well, you can boy. see him next summer at the Xfinity Center in Mansfield, Massachusetts. All right, consider me there. Uh, well, so uh, we are going to be doing what week in rock history? Well, we are going to be going, we're going way back to near the beginning. Um, we did the first chart on our first week. Um, we're going three months after the first chart, June 20th, 1981. We're counting down. It's a month and a half before the debut of MTV. Whew. 
weird kind of era in rock and roll. Like we said, the beginning of the decades are kind of weird times. They're still trying to find what culture will look like in the decade. Yeah, what's I think, the new sound almost? Yeah, what is the new sound? And yeah. I think nothing um, kind of defines of how weird culture is in June 1981. The hot... 100 number one single this week and if you can find it on apple music you should play it okay is stars on 45 stars on 45 is the name of the song and the band it's just a giant medley of random popular songs there's a bunch of there's like 20 mixes i don't know if it's the same as it is on spotify but there's like 20 20 different mixes of stars on 45 yeah i've got uh I, there's a 12 inch version. Yeah, there's, that one's like 15, wow. nine minutes. But right. the one that was oh, no, it's a like a four version. minute version. Yeah, how long is it for? Uh, oh, this one. Oh, Jesus. And they say disco is dead in 1981, like it had died two years previously, but this is so like bad disco. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like a big craze. They did like Beatles medleys, they did. Motown medleys. This is like a big craze in the summer of 81. Hmm. It was like, man, I'm glad MTV came along. Oh, wow. Stars on 45 did an ABBA medley. Yep. They did like a they Star did Beatles one. one. Yeah, yeah. They did a Beatles one. They did a they country did a specific one. George Harrison one. Yeah. This is the disco that I, this, that I do not have uh, a fondness for. I'm yeah. not going to say it's necessarily bad, but it's not... Because this is like the uh, this is the disco that's like I don't know it's like the Mecco Star Wars yes. album right but it's yeah I feel like it seems even more low what yeah you, you know this was the number one hit single of 1969 yes and it was written for a TV show the art show for cartoons yep. Not that it would have been that much better if it was a live-action TV series, but... Yeah, written by Jeff Barry, who also... uh, Actually, I don't know if he's credited, but uh, he co-wrote I'm a Believer for the Monkees with Mm -hmm. Neil Diamond. Uh, Anyways, uh, fun. (laughs) That's They do a very random list of songs. There's a couple Beatles songs. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Yeah, uh, I'm an unabashed, unapologetic ABBA fan, for sure. And uh, I there's some disco that I like. I've been listening to a lot of Motown recently, mm-hmm. and specifically there's the, a Stars on 45 Motown. Yeah, Medley <laughs> too. Oh God, uh, but I I've been listening to this playlist on Apple Music that's like a Motown playlist, and you know you get all these like it's so funny the span of it because you do get like what would be qualified as oldies like. Like things that are uh, one step away from like I saw my thrill on yeah. Blueberry Hill, you know, like one step away from that, and then on the other side you have like basically what amounts to disco. Yeah, like uh, what what will be considered like funk, you know, pre-Parliament yeah. funk, mm-hmm. uh, and it's interesting. But yeah, disco. I don't know. I go back and forth, but by and large, no. But nineteen eighty one, but especially yeah, like stars on forty five. I'm assuming they're. European, some I think they're like Dutch. That would make sense. They were friends with ABBA. Yeah, <laughs> ABBA was still a thing. ABBA broke up in I think eighty one or eighty two uh, after they divorced in seventy nine. Yeah, no, they had they had they had an album or two after they divorced. Yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy because he literally wrote. Uh, 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 I think it was Winter Benny. Christ. 
Benny wrote the winner takes it all. And as they were divorcing and his wife is singing a song that he wrote about their divorce. God, that's like on the radio. Yeah. Which is nuts. The 70s was a very popular decade for divorce between ABBA and Fleetwood Mac. Yes. Late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Great time for divorce. It was a great time. Sure. (laughs) Kramer versus Kramer. Yep. Uh, uh, I'm sure uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, maybe? was That was a little somewhere. bit earlier. That was like OG divorce. But it was somewhere. It was somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure people were watching it a lot. Yeah. People were rediscovering it. VCRs were becoming a thing, so they probably... Uh, they got it on tape. They got it on VHS. When did Richard Burton die? He had to die in the like late 80s, right? Yeah, early, early, late, I think early 80s. Hmm. Maybe mid 80s. Because she made it for a while after she, him. She made it for a long... She outlived... I think she, uh, you know, she... Uh, she died in the 2000s, right? 2010s. Damn. She outlived Michael Jackson. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. I mean, I think she, she, you know, she lived a lot of lives. She, uh, no, she had a hard life and yes. hard living. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. She's a strong woman. R.I.P. R- Liz Taylor. R.I.P. <laughs> R- Liz Taylor. Patron state of the podcast. Uh, okay. So, um, do, are, do we have SNL? This week? No, it's June, so it's on hiatus. Uh, but they're in between season six and season seven. There was actually a writer's strike in 1981 that mercifully ended season six of SNL. Was season six uh, that Robert was the, Jr. The, and... No, that was season six was the season after the original cast. Oh, okay. So the Gene Dominion season. Okay. All so right. after the original cast left. So there was a writer's strike in like early April. After she got fired, so mm. they were like, "Good, then SNL's <laughs> off for a very extended hiatus." Taking some time, <laughs> we're figuring this out. Yep. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, well, uh, shall we move into honorable mentions? Let's move into honorable mentions, right. and we're going to move into a guy that was probably maybe the, one of the biggest breakout stars of 1981, coming in at number 19, Rick Springfield. No shit. With Jesse's Girl on its way down the rock charts, but it was still on its way up the pop charts. Um, it peaked at number 10 on the rock charts, and it would eventually hit number one on the pop charts on August 1st, which was the day MTV debuted. Huh. So a month and a half after this, Jesse's Girl would be number one on the pop charts. And uh, a fun fact I learned about this one. One of the slowest climbing number one pop hits of all time. The single was released in March, and it didn't become a number one hit until August. Hmm. Hmm. But it's funny, because Rick Springfield seems like a pre-MTV guy. Well, he is technically a pre-MTV guy, but he seems like a kind of a precursor to MTV. Kind of like the image helping the music, because he was a big star on General Hospital at this time, which was... One of the major hits of the early 80s. The early 80s was kind of like the peak in popularity of soap operas. Yeah, he played Dr. Noah Drake on General Hospital. God, this song is popular. This is a bop. I mean, to me, he kind of he bridges the gap between like 70s, like yeah. Skinnerty Southern Rock and like Eddie Money. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, power poppy guy. Yeah. Um, he had song. I mean, he had a song written by Sammy Hagar. He does have some. I mean, he has wow. some. Yeah, I didn't even. Know I've that. done everything for you. That's a Sammy Hagar song oh, off the same album, "Working Class Dog." Very cute album cover with Rick Springfield's dog wearing a shirt and tie. He's got like a Spuds McKenzie. Yeah, like a. Spuds oh, he M- makes it on multiple album yes. covers. <laughs> That's adorable. He's also on the cover of "Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet," yeah. the follow-up. 
Um, but Rick Springfield, he was kind of like a music journeyman. He seems like an overnight guy, but he had recorded some albums in the early 70s, and he had a Saturday morning cartoon what? in the early 70s that I can't... I'm having a brain fart on the title, but in the early 70s, he had... Like he had a Saturday morning cartoon like before he was like a big music star. They thought like he would become a music star based on a Saturday morning cartoon series, but it kind of backfired because the cartoon wasn't a hit and like music people thought it was a little bit lame. Magic something? I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, the Beatles had a show. Yeah. Uh, but they tried to give him a show before he was like an established music name. Yeah. I mean, it, it was almost like doing the cartoon monkeys. Yeah. But he was an actual person like they didn't put yep. him together i forgot he was intruded um give me this cartoon why will you not let me know oh he made his debut in the six million dollar man yeah holy jeez so he had a long journeyman m- music career before he had broke out with jesse's girl yeah good for him also he has quite a ridiculous acting career i never knew this wow okay i can't find the name of this uh, uh, cartoon right now, but everybody look it up because it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, they talk about it pretty extensively on his behind the music. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Is that MTV or VH1? VH1. VH1. Yep. Video hits one. <laughs> uh, right on. Well, Jesse's Girl, I mean, it's a classic. It's a great song, yeah. Yeah, and it, it kind of uh, falls in a genre of... Uh, I don't know. I I don't. I kind of throw it with uh, Tommy Two Tones, eight six seven five three zero nine, or you know this like era of like these unattainable women almost. Yeah, there's just something about it. Yeah, yeah. it's fun, yeah. sort of. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a it's an interesting sort of era of like uh, uh like beta male. Uh, it's these hot dudes talking about being a beta male, and it was like I identify with yeah. this. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> you know, uh, uh, precursor to Bon Jovi, I would say. Sure, yeah, also. I think Rick Springfield was a big precursor to that. Mm. Uh, right on. Other honorable mentions? Yeah, we got one more honorable mention. Uh, mm. This is an interesting one. We got Gary U.S. Bonds. Who is a oldies star? He had a big comeback song called "This Little Girl," and it was written by Bruce Springsteen, produced oh. by Little Steven Van Zandt, who I think was still Miami Steve Van Zandt at this point. Yeah, eighty-one, eighty-one, probably. Yep. Because uh, what? Born in the USA didn't come out till like eighty-two, eighty-three. Yeah, eighty-four. Eighty-four. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this God, is in nine between, years after uh, Born to Run. This That's is crazy. in between there is so they're in between uh, the river and Nebraska in terms of uh, oh okay because the river was 1980 so 81 so it's, I guess he has some time off and this song is based on an out uh, uh, on an outtake off of Darkness on the Edge of Town. Gary U.S. Bonds is another Jersey guy who's one of the heroes of Bruce Springsteen so he thought he'd help him out with this song. It did become a big pop hit. It was Gary U.S. Bond's first pop hit since Twop Tony hit since 1962. It reached number 11 on the pop charts. Hmm. So, Bruce Springsteen, all-around mensch. Him and Steven helped out one of their old heroes. And he also, you can also hear Bruce on the backing vocals here. Nice. Oh, maybe a little bit later. I think on the second chorus he's... But I think the E Street Band is playing. There is Bruce. Yeah, that's great. 
You said it's after the river? After the river, yeah. It kind of sounds like the river. <laughs> yep. Because it has that more like live, old-timey sound that they tried to do on the river. Yeah. And you know what was funny? a little bit funny about this is it kind of... You know, we we kind of talk, uh, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but I feel like this will come up mm-hmm. a number of times. Uh, John Mellencamp, after this, produced uh, tried to produce a comeback song for Mitch Ryder, another '60s oldie star, <laughs> to, uh, to less success than uh, Bruce Springsteen's producing Gary S. Bonds. Yeah, right. Uh, um, J- uh, John Cougar Mellencamp's whole career. Yeah, <laughs> just following Bruce Springsteen. Uh, yeah. I mean, how big did... Well, we don't need to get into it. I was I was, I was, was about to like compare like pink houses to like... I don't even know. Uh, what, what would be... Because pink houses was maybe his biggest? Yeah. Or most iconic song. Yeah. So would you compare that to like... Uh, like a... Uh, Thunder Road? Dancing in the Dark? Yeah, I don't know. Dancing, I don't know. I don't even know where you go from there. Yeah. That is crazy. Mm. Uh, but... Gary U.S. Bonds. All right. I like that song. It's a good one. I yeah. like that song. What is this? Is this an album? Does he have a... Is this just a greatest hits? Is that what I'm looking at? Yep. Okay. Uh, right on. Well, so this is going to bring us into the top 10. Right into the top 10 for June 20th, 1981. What was happening at the beginning of the summer of 1981? And number 10 is an old song that uh, wasn't released in the U.S. until 1981. <laughs> Coming in at number 10 is ACDC, Akadaka, okay. with Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. No way. Which is the title track off the album of the same name. Yeah. It was released in Europe and Australia in 1976, but for whatever reason, it didn't get released in the U.S. until March of 1981. They saw how big Back in Black was, and they're like, well... We'll, br- we'll, we'll, we'll bring it. We'll bring it out. Okay. Uh, this is a this is a stone cold jam right here. Yep, and it ended up being uh, the second best spelling ACDC album with Bon Scott behind Highway. To I was Hell. about to say this is Bon Scott, right? Yeah, this is Bon Scott. Mm. I always love these riffs. Young Brothers, mm-hmm. do some tasty And it just shows the lack of foresight on ACDC's record company that they thought the Americans would have no interest in this. Yeah, that is insane. To not release this for like five, until five years after it came out in Europe and Australia. Might be on it, and this might be ACDC's best album. Yeah, certainly up there. Here's my favorite part. Oh no, wait. I like it when when they come in with like the weird golem thing. Yeah, here it is. God, that's great. It's a yeah. I don't know. ACDC is such a funny one because it's like I don't know. It's the height of cock rock. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're never going to get better than that. You'll get variations on it and some, like, amazing variations yeah. on it. Like, I would say, you know, Jet or uh, 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 you, The really, Darkness. Would you say Jet was an amazing variation on it? 
I think I think Cold Hard Bitch. That's or, a, yeah, it's a fun song. Yeah, like sure. I th- and uh, what's the ripoff of? Uh, are you gonna be my girl? Lust? Yeah, are you gonna be my girl? Like I think that those are like, I mean, if you played those songs at a bar at like eleven thirty, the bar would go ape shit. Everyone yeah. would have fun. Like maybe someone would get a bottle to the face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I think that they they are good variations. They're never yeah. going to beat ACDC, no, of but they're not. they're good yeah. imitations. Yeah, they're kind of a modern day update on ACDC. Also Australian. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. And Bon Scott, there's something about him that's just more like raw. Yeah. You know, because uh, when I think of like you know the back in black, it's a little bit more. It's not polished, but it's got like I don't know less of that kind of like grit. You, yeah, right. You think of like uh, balls, it's just like yeah. I've got the big balls. You know, there's a theatricality to it that I love. Yeah, it's less gritty and sleazy. There's more power to like the Brian Johnson one. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, you know. Yeah, uh, well, like high, highway to hell and stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's a little bit more. It's it's ACDC's version of Sammy Hagar. Yeah, correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious. I to just think had of. an AC. I just gurgled up some mucus into my throat. Just very <laughs> ACDC, like. Ah! <laughs> um. Yeah, so ACDC was not happy. I was, was reading up on the, the U.S. release of Dirty Deeds Done Cheap because they the record label released three ACDC albums in like a year and a half because they had Back in Black. Then they put out the Dirty Deeds Done Cheap without uh, consulting ACDC. That, and they, ACDC felt like it fucked over the release of their follow-up to uh, Back in Black for those about to rock. Mm. So they felt like they got rushed on the, for those about to rock too. So they were like, I don't yeah, know. That's a little bit crazy. Didn't Razor's Edge come out in like ninety three or something? Razor's weird? Edge was ninety. That's crazy. That's crazy that they made it that long before Thunderstruck came out. Yeah, like you think of ACDC as just like releasing like all those hits in like a week, <laughs> but it took like uh, thirty years. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but great band. They're touring next year too. Yeah, and he's still wearing the little shorts. Yep, <laughs> definitely. He's he must work on his. His, he must do a lot of leg work. Yeah, he he looked old in the goddamn Thunderstruck video. <laughs> uh, well, number nine, number nine, coming in at number nine is the Tubes with their breakout pop hit, "Talk to You Later." That's off their 1981, "The Completion Backward Principle," which is a concept album parodying uh, Ronald Reagan's Morning in America. Now, the Tubes were a big uh, shock rock band in the 70s. They were a big concert draw. Um, but they hadn't really had a pop hit. Hmm. Um, and uh, this album kind of was parodying Ronald Reagan's Morning America. They cut their hair and they put on suits, but they ended up sort of kind of just becoming another pop rock band after this album. There's a long, there's a spoken word intro. And this album was produced by David Foster. Oh, crazy. Okay. And a great uh, Canadian pop tunesmith. And the song was co written by Toto's Steve Lukather. I can get it. Yep. Yeah. A little bit of new wave, a little bit of prog rock. Yep. Yeah. I'm actually also going to say, like, pretty progressive for the 80s. Yeah. Like, it sounds sounds like late 80s. Yeah.
That's fun. It's a good, yeah, fun song. It's a good, good jam. Power pop. Well crafted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once again, I'm getting overtones of yes. Like, you know, that sort of like dorky, like, hey, we know about vocal harmonies and yeah. shit. You know? I like That's that. probably the David Foster and Steve Lukather influence. Yeah. Uh, Toto, for sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you said it was a it was a concept album just based off of yeah, yeah off of Ronald Reagan's Morning in America like the completion backward principle of like subtly saying like America's going backwards into the fifties yeah right and they were wearing suits they wore like suits and they had like haircuts they cut their hair <laughs> I think they showed up on an uh, SCTV around this time the Tubes as a musical guest are they Canadian uh no they're from the Bay Area oh okay hmm. which is the Canada of America. <laughs> Everybody's so nice here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fun. Uh, cool. Yeah, good. Good tune. I might actually check out that album a little bit more. Uh, was not aware of the tubes. <laughs> no, so interesting. Interesting because they're very, they're very uh, shock rocky in the seventies. But hmm. then they sold it. They sold out and worked with David Foster. Well, I mean, you know, you try different things. Yeah. Yeah, and the frontman Fee Wable became best friends with Richard Marks, and they co-wrote uh, <laughs> "Vixen's Edge of a Broken Heart" together. <laughs> all right, yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting turn. Yeah, uh, all right. So number eight, number eight, coming in at number eight, uh, guy we spoke about a little bit earlier, George Harrison from the Beatles, mm. with a song called "All Those Years Ago." That was off his release somewhere in England. And this song is notable because it features Ringo Starr on drums, and it features Paul and Linda McCartney, and Wings' Denny Lane on backing vocals. And it was originally written for Ringo, but after uh, John Lennon's murder, uh, George Harrison kind of retooled the song and uh, made it a little bit more introspective and personal and gave it to himself. Hmm. But it's kind of uh, all about uh, recollecting his times with the Beatles. Shouting all about love Well, they cheated you like a dog He wrote it for Ringo originally. Originally. Okay. It was supposed to be a Ringo solo song, but then after John Lennon died, he kind of made it a little bit more serious and took it himself. They don't act with much honesty. It's so funny because like have I uh have I delved a ton into uh the George Harrison catalog? No. But he's always, you know, the brooding beetle. Yeah. And so you say like, ah, oh, George Harrison track, and I'm expecting something like Here Comes the Sun. No. Or like, you know. But <laughs> this is kind of like upbeat. It's boppy. upbeat, yeah. It's a little bit it's a little bit melancholy, obviously, given that's about John Lennon who had died like six months earlier, but but like to be about that, I mean, yeah. it sounds more like you know remembering, uh, or it even sounds oh. like a a John Lennon solo song. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Like uh, maybe with the Plastic Ono band, yeah. even. Yeah. 
I mean, it's not super indistinguishable from the Beatles. Well, because it has three out of four of the Beatles on it. <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, fine song. Yeah, I like it. Uh, which is your favorite Beatle? I like Paul. Yeah, I feel like that's the most basic take, and it's the most complex take. Cause, sure, because the people who don't know a lot about the Beatles, I think Paul is their favorite, and then people who are like really, really into the Beatles, Paul is their favorite. Yeah, I've always but, been a John guy. Yeah. Mm. It's mostly all based on that uh, scene in Hard Day's Night when they're on the train and the guy's complaining about them and John just like leans in close to the dude and just goes, give us a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was the funniest thing in that's, the world. That's Yeah, their movies are underrated. Uh, gr- well, no, Hard Day's Night is underrated. Help I like Help. Is... To, I like Help. I, maybe it's because I saw Help first for some reason. Yeah, it is a lot of fun to watch and it is horrible. <laughs> I just like the James Bond parody aspects. Yeah, with the ring and yeah, uh, yeah all the like, yeah. 60s spy stuff. I'm a big Ringo yeah. guy. I like yep. I like Ringo being featured whenever Ringo gets a chance to shine. Yeah. And I would say that all the bits, all the bits in it are are much more heightened than Hard Day's Night. Like they all live in the same apartment, but it, they have separate doors to get into it in like this Liverpool. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Everyone should go watch Help <laughs> and Hard Day's Night. Yeah. And uh, Yellow Submarine, even if it's not for the Beatles actually sure. aren't in it. Yeah. But I mean, that one's fun. Yeah. Blue Meanies. Uh, number seven. Coming in at number seven is an act that has a little bit less staying power than the Beatles the Greg Kinn Band. With the breakup song, and uh, it's a song that doesn't sound familiar, but they play it a lot on the the the, the radio. Um, Greg Kinn's kind of a rock and roll journeyman, and uh, this album is delightfully titled "Rock Kin Roll," <laughs> with R O C then his last name K A H N space Roll. Uh, uh. Oh, okay. There we go. Uh, they don't write. Okay. Let's see here. can't tell if i've heard this a million times or if i've heard a million different songs that's not like this okay there we are you know it yeah that's like lido shuffle like you say lido shuffle and people like i have no idea what that song is (laughs) and then you go oh oh oh," and people like yeah it's like that uh 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 song Like yeah, it's like another very professional, like power poppy, yeah, a little bit workman like song, Young. a little bit, yeah, a little bit of Neil Young, a little bit of like the Coog, but yeah, fun. It's a good song. Yep. But anyways, one more note about Craig Kinn is uh, he actually hosts a yearly class. He's a classic rock DJ now in the Bay Area. Great. And he hosts a yearly concert at one of the big amphitheaters out there called the Kinsert. <laughs> You know what? Lean into it. Yeah. Why not? That's a dude who's enjoying life. Yeah, he writes he he writes uh he writes like uh what's it called? Like speculative fiction, like alternative histories, I think. Oh, interesting. He wrote one about the Beatles. Hmm. Yeah, he's a guy. He seems like a guy who enjoys life. Like what would happen if the Beatles were I don't know, uh uh 10 years older. Yeah. 
<laughs> I like that idea. All right, cool. Greg Too Kin. bad Danny Boyle did not adopt adapt one of Craig Kin's books. I wonder what would happen. Well, I feel like that would be more like a uh, uh, what, what's his name Crow, uh, uh, almost famous. Come on, yeah, Cameron Crow. Cameron Crow. That would be Danny more Boyle Cameron. just did, he did the Beatles movies the yesterday one. No, that was Ron Howard. No, oh, no, it, yesterday. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Eight Days I a didn't, Week. For some reason, I didn't see that in theaters, but I digress. No, I didn't even know it made it to theaters. I just saw a ton of things on Instagram saying that it was coming out. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. I read the Wikipedia synopsis. So I already, sometimes, like, if it's a movie, I'm on the fence about it. I read the ending, and I was like... Okay. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, I did that for I I do that for horror movies. Yeah, I always read that. I don't even like horror movies, but I'm like yeah. I want to see like how everybody gets killed in this movie. Yeah, I, uh, I also the mythology. Like I'm more interested in the mythology of like a Freddy or a Jason than I am actually going through the slog of you know yeah. an hour and a half. That's how I feel about like most sports. I like reading about it more than I like watching it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Soccer. I like watching soccer. Yeah. Yeah. You got a yeah. You got a favorite club? I don't really. Uh, you know, I I don't mind. I don't mind watching like a World Cup because I feel like those players oh, like at international, least, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, obviously, uh, Revolution all the way, New England, baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, well, number with well, that digression. Um, uh, another breakout star of 1981, Billy Squire, with the Stroke is probably his most famous song. That was off his second album, Don't Say No, which was a big hit on the pop charts as well. And uh, yeah, he just Billy Squire broke out in 1981, and he kind of had a couple huge albums, and then he made a video a couple years later where that was very froofy, and you don't hear a lot from Billy Squire anymore. There was a whole chapter in the book. We might talk about this on a later episode. There's a whole chapter in I I Want My MTV about Billy Squire's Rock Me, how terrible of a video Billy Squire's Rock Me Tonight was. Hmm. That's the end of Billy Squire, the stroke. It's the beginning. Oh, I do know this. Yep. Okay. He had a couple of monster hits from like 81 to 84, 85. I think for a while it seemed like he was going to be like the hair apparent to like Led Zeppelin as like the leading cock rocker, but it obviously kind of fizzled out. Yeah, or like a precursor almost to like Death Leopard, right? Yeah. Yep. Give a firm handshake. Talk to me. Hmm. The thing I always think about when I think of Billy Squire is like uh, my dad being like, you couldn't hear a song at the strip club from like n- until like the mid 2000s and, and not be a Billy Squire song. <laughs> like, it was like he would put on like Billy Squire's greatest hits, and he's like, "This just reminds me of the, the strip clubs." I hope my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Does she not know? <laughs> uh, but it's what uh, uh, Bon Jovi was hearing when they went to the strip club when they came up with the album title "Slippery When Wet." <laughs> yeah, it was like probably what was playing at the strip club when Bo- uh, Motley Crue wrote "Girls, Girls, Girls." Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, um, but I mean, yeah, and you know what? I the video for that would be like you know a girl in a bikini like doing. Uh, yeah, I I see it totally. Hey, wait, nope, this is not on the Rock of Ages soundtrack. The Strokes not on the Rock of. Uh, yeah, I was wondering if it was going to be. It is not. If they ever come out with a Rock of Ages two, which I feel like the chances are. 
Yeah, that has Slimmy. to be on it, right? That would have to be on it. Mm-hmm. It's too bad the movie version of Rock of Ages didn't do well. We could have our spec script for Rock of Ages too. Maybe we'll be able to get it to happen if we make it good enough. Yeah, <laughs> if we have a playlist, that's you know what that's that's the entirety of Netflix's uh, whole thing right now is just dope playlists. If we get, if we get a dope enough playlist, then uh, Netflix will greenlight our Rock of Ages two movie. <laughs> uh, right on. Well, that's number six. That of course brings us into. The top five. Top five. Top five. Coming in at number five was a band I was a little bit surprised to see, but I, upon further research, they actually had a big, uh, big run in 1981. The Moody Blues, hmm. with a song called "The Voice," okay. off their album "Long Distance Voyager," um, which was their second. It hit number one on the album charts. Wow! Um, yeah, it was a big album for the Moody Blues. Um, again, that's a band that I w- wouldn't really associate. I know they had a couple hits in the eighties, but I didn't think they had like, they were like, had number one albums. What, g- can you give me the big hit of the Moody Blues? Um, Nights in White and Satin. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Thanks. Um, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here. This is off of that same album. Or the Nights in White Satin is the name of their greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, Nights in White Satin was like in late, mid to late sixties. Oh, long distance voyage. Yes. Okay. Little flute. <laughs> Jethro Tull making an appearance. A oh, Moody Blues, I think, had a flute player too. Oh. Okay. the tradition of the like 70s like prog rockers and stuff like that sort yeah. of like nonsensical lyrics yeah. or just like uh, cliches it's just like we need words to put into this like dope beat yeah and, like we have a melody we're we good a cool synthesizer yeah we just need something to put into here plug and play let's go baby which no shade thrown i mean it's great yeah Oh, nice. It's got a it's got a real fucking groove to it. Yeah. I should have consulted. I, I meant to text Leaf about this because the Moody Blues are his, one of his favorites. Oh, okay. he's a big me- Mo- Moody Blues guy. Previous guest, Leaf Erickson. Leif Erickson. He is like Conqueror Moody Blues of many a land. Yes, uh, in fourteen twenty one. Sure. Yeah. Also, uh, the afternoons on Frank FM. Yep. Nice. Yeah. That's a good song. All right, Moody Blues. Uh, you got, you got, you, you get this one. <laughs> you get this one, Moody Blues. <laughs> I was ready to kind of be like, meh. Yeah. And then I listened to 
two a two and a half. Yeah, you, almost. To, you almost listened to the half of more than half the song. Uh, no, uh, just under half. It is five minutes. Long. It is a long song. Yeah, it's the Moody Blues. <laughs> oh Jesus, five minutes! Wow. Uh, good for them. Uh, number five. That's good. Uh, number four. Coming in at number four uh, is an act that has come up numerous times on this show, and I think it's far from the last time they'll be mentioned. Phil Collins. Ooh. Off nice. of his debut solo album, Face Value, his yeah. debut solo single, In the Air Tonight, yep. on its way down from the charts uh, at number four. And uh, I mean, it is... I don't know what we can say about this that hasn't already been said, but it is a wonderful song. Yeah, it's great. In general, I think Phil Collins is just phenomenal. But, uh, you know, this is just one of those songs. It's everywhere. Yeah. Well, we're talking about alternate histories here. What what do you think would happen if uh, In the Air Tonight had been a Genesis song? Hmm. I don't think Genesis would have broken up as easily. I think. Yeah. I think if you have like, I don't know. Because you well, think it's the same. I feel like it, it being a, a Phil Collins solo song kind of helps it a little bit. Well, it definitely puts Phil Collins as like, hey, th- I'm doing my thing. Yeah. I don't think Phil Collins would have had the Disney thing without no. it. I don't know if it has the same power if it's a Genesis song. I don't know. I mean, I I think the song holds up. Yeah, it's a great song. But his career definitely would not have been what it was. His solo career. Yeah. Like, if we didn't have In the Air Tonight, would we not have (laughs) Susudio? You know? Would we not have the soundtrack to Brother Bear? (laughs) You go to that over Tarzan? Okay, I get it. probably sounds different if it's a Genesis song too like yeah if Peter Gabriel had, had had some input and no Peter Gabriel wasn't in Genesis at that point it was Mike Rutherford and Tony Banks oh okay As this is we're firmly in the trio era of Genesis oh Peter Gabriel left in 76 that dick <laughs> that, that Dave Matthews uh, <laughs> inspiring motherfucker it is crazy how much space he allows for in his yeah. songs. Very sparse. Yeah, because I was listening to uh, the his sophomore album the other day, which the name is escaping me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm having a brain fart too. That's the one with like no reply at all. Uh, no, that's a Genesis song. Yeah, I'm talking about No Jacket Required, which is the third album. That's the third one, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he really does not have a problem with space. Like, yeah. just taking some time, which is crazy to think of this being a radio play. Yeah. Hit, you know? Like, like we got to keep things going. We got to keep things fun. No, we but gotta... the radio back in 81 that still had some, like, leeway is like, yeah. Everybody was still stoned. <laughs> you could smoke pot in the radio studio, but still in 1981. <laughs> yeah, right. Nobody showed it's up. It's funny. Anyway. It's legal now, but you can't smoke weed. And yeah, I think people are just more conscious of how expensive radio equipment is. <laughs> they don't want to. Yeah, it's not about the weed. It it's just about smoke. Yeah. yeah. And now it kicks. 
But even then, it, even after, it doesn't really kick until the famous part of the list. Yeah, we are over three minutes into this song. Where's the goddamn? Oh, nope. Here we go. Yes! It re- it's insane that it takes so long, but when it kicks, it fucking kicks! Makes it, yeah, it, it pays off. It's like a build-up that totally pays off. Yeah. I, you know, I, I honestly don't think the song has the same impact if it's just a like the third single off of Duke. No. I feel like it has more impact as like the Phil Collins's debut solo song. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh also it's just uh it's a it's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, number three. Number three, another great classic rock group of all time. Another band that I feel like has shown up on like eighty percent of the episodes. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. And this one we've been covering a lot of like second or tier third tier Tom Petty songs, but this one is mm. definitely it's on the Mount Rushmore of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers songs. The Waiting, which uh, oh, was number okay. one for the the last week before this, June 13th. It was on number one on the mainstream rock charts for six weeks. So it's just starting. Six weeks. Six weeks at number one. Good for them. It's off their fourth album, Hard Promises. This is an album that was delayed uh, by Tom Petty and the, his record label were arguing over uh, Tom Petty. He thought the nine ninety nine suggested retail price for the album was too high for his fans, and he <laughs> argued with the record company. He was like, "This out, my album's too expensive." That just shows you what a mensch Tom Petty is. Is yeah. like looking out for his fans. But ultimately, like Pearl Jam's battle with Ticketmaster, I think the record label probably won. <laughs> it's a great song. Yeah, this is a just a fantastic song. Especially just like like a stone cold classic of like this style of rock, yeah. like the open kind of just like guitar, yep. crazy, just like nice, yeah, a simple but profound message, like a very universally yes. relatable message. Yes, yeah. Somehow, like both, it, it's both uh, uh, universal without being reductive. Yeah. Yeah. It was universal without being too cliche. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And fantastically used on The Simpsons. The episode uh, where blind spot for me. Blind spot? No, <laughs> that's a blind you're a cartoon spot. guy, and you don't like. It was a thing about growing up, and my parents didn't let me watch The Simpsons. Now yeah. that it's on Disney Plus, I'm getting into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like this a lot. Yeah. I would say very reminiscent of. Although, I don't know if this would actually be reminiscent or a precursor to Elvis Costello. Uh, reminiscent. Elvis Costello's first album. Is that 76 or 77? Yeah, okay. So he would have been the attractions by this yep. point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. American Elvis Costello. Yeah. Fundamentally, yeah. Great song. Also, literally half the length of In the Air Tonight. Yeah, it gets to the point a little bit quicker than In the Air Tonight. I would say it's the difference between their their uh, sort of their upbringings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Phil Collins, like firmly, I would say is like not necessarily prog rocky, but like that sort of like progressive. Yeah. 
uh, uh, element, whereas like Tom Petty, I mean, grew up in garage bands. Yeah, and just like get in, get out. Yeah, fifties rock and roll. Like we need, like get your hook in there. We're we're, we're making hits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, so coming in at number two, Who? Santana. What? Okay. With a song called Winning off their album Z-Bop. Okay. Spelled Z-E-B-O-P. I think there might be an exclamation point in there, too, but I don't think it's probably necessary to look that up. It's a cover of a song by an artist named Russ Ballard. Now, Russ Ballard was a guy, he was in the lead singer of the group Argent, who was a 70s, uh, sort of a one-hit wonder, but he wrote a lot of songs, or diverse, for a diverse group of people, he wrote songs for uh, Three Dog Night and Kiss and oh, okay. Santana. And this is very firmly in the like 1981 pop rock charts. It's kind of like the 1981 equivalent of like it's supernatural because it's just like Santana doing some guitar likes over some very like 1981 music that doesn't sound very Santana-y the guitar tone is very 70s but I would also say yeah that feels super 80s I was about to say a little world music-y but it lost that vibe very quickly yeah once Santana stops playing That couldn't get more 80. You like the yeah, the claps? This might as well be Paul Simon. Yeah. Look like a joker, turn around. Fate must have woke up this baby up. She was waiting outside the door. Also, I think this is a minute shorter than the last song. It's even shorter than Tom Betty. This we're just getting shorter and shorter as we get out. I'm fine with that. It's funny, I've never been like a huge Carlos fan as a guitar player. Like growing up being a guitar player, you know, you get in all these like stupid debates yeah. uh, when you're young. Uh, and, you know, he's he's there with Clapton and all these kinds of things. Idols. Uh, uh, Jeff Beck is another yeah. one. Jimmy Page. And, yeah. And you, you kind of start finding your alliances. And I never found my way into... Carlos Santana's guitar playing, yeah, and to be like, ooh, damn! Like I was yeah. always like Mark Knopfler and like all the prog rock players and yeah. like weird guitar players. But uh, that's a good song. I like that yeah. song. It's a good pop song. Russ Ballard was a good, so- very good songwriter. Yes, that was a smart choice for a cover because it's nobody knew the original. That's the thing about right. Russ Ballard. It's like he's a good songwriter, but he never had any hits. So perfect. Take him. Yeah, buy that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right on. Well, this, of course, takes us finally to number one. Uh, coming in at number one is a man wait, who wait, is wait, wait. Uh, celebrating his birthday. Um, I believe it's the day we're recording this or very near to it. Joe Walsh. Oh, okay. Uh, with his song, A Life of Illusion, off of his fifth solo album, There Goes the Neighborhood. And it was his first album solo album after the Eagles, and I think he was the first member of the Eagles to release a solo album after they broke up in 1980. Really? Yeah. He, he made it in first? He made it I in first, which that. is kind of, I, I, I don't know. It's, it makes sense. It makes he, sense. He seems to be the most, like, gung-ho eagle. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
In what way, though? I don't know. In terms of like just getting getting out there and working, I think probably. Yeah, because I, I think Don Henley sees himself as the artist. I don't yeah. think he is, but I think he sees himself as the artist. And like Glenn Fry, I kind of see more as like the. I, I just he's like he's the workhorse yeah <laughs> you know don felder was the guy who got shit on yeah don felder was the scapegoat yeah uh but right on okay the song famously used in the opening uh scene of the 40 year old virgin that's probably the thing it's most known for just boners yeah Such a weird voice. Yeah. It's like between him and Al Stewart. Like, who were these Kermit the Frogs who were in mainstream rock? In the, yeah, between like 1975 and 1982. Yeah, like, uh,. Yacht Rock sort of breathing its last breath. Yeah. Definitely uh, Yacht Rock vibes in the song. Yeah. But, I mean, good. It's good. I Definitely like- a great song. I like it a lot. Yeah. And poignant. You know, I, I, I think Joe Walsh's shit way more than the Eagles, like, actually has, like, poignancy yeah. and, like, depth. <laughs> he seems like a goof on the surface, but, you know, he's, yes. he's kind of like, he's just, you know, a s- smart guy if you... But even that, what's the dumb, the big Joe Walsh hit, you know? My mom's ironic. Life's been good. Yes, life's been good. Like, I feel like that even, once you take the time to listen to the song, you're it's like, oh, shit. It's satirical. Yeah. It's meant to be a, like, people are like, that's a fucking dumb, silly song. But I'm like, yeah, that's the point of life's been good is it's supposed to be satirizing, <laughs> like, the late 70s rock lifestyle. Yeah, almost Joe Walsh doing, like, Randy Newman, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. It's not too far off Randy Newman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm yeah, good song. Yeah, I think that song. is definitely a worthy ass number one for this list. I mean, it's a top. It's I I uh, I think this is a. I was kind of surprised at how good this list was because I don't think 1981 is known as like a great year in music history. MTV starting aside, or maybe because MTV started, yeah. depending on your perspective. But this was like this might have been one of our best lists. There's I'm not a song. There's not a sleeper on this there's list. There's not a song on yeah. this list that I was like, this song is like, I don't know about this one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with all of it. Like, I think every one of these would be a worthy top five on pretty much any episode. Ooh, but I did. Tough. This is going to be tough. It is going to be a tough one. Yeah. That's crazy. Because I think any one of these could normally be a top five on most weeks, but. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, do you have your top five? I have my five? top five. All right. Well, I actually prepared this time. Let's take it to the top five. The top five. <laughs> Welcome to the top five. Long well, distance dedications. Coming in at number five is a song that wasn't on the top 10. It was one of the honorary mentions. I'm going to go with mm-hmm. Gary U.S. Bond's List Little Girl. Okay. I think that was a very, you know, very good. Uh, Bruce did a good job. Yes, of, I would agree. Putting his his sound on Gary uh, Gary U.S. Bonds, Gary U.S. Bonds, crushed, or just finding out yeah. uh, how much of uh, Bruce Springsteen's sound came from the '60s. Right, exactly. Yeah, when he pairs up with a '60s rocker. Mm-hmm. Um, coming in at number four, uh, I'm gonna go with the Tubes. Talk to you later. I really like that nice. song. Good little power pop, well done song. Good job to the Tubes and David Foster and Steve Lukather. Mm. 
Um, number three, I'm going to go with a Akadaka. Dirty Deeds Done Cheap. <laughs> I mean, that's one of their best songs. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's an iconic one for a good reason. Yeah, it deserves its status as an iconic song. Yeah, it's better than the sport event songs yeah. of like you know, yeah. uh, Hell's Bells. And or it something. makes it makes contract killing sound very fun. <laughs> I mean, contract killing probably is if you have the stomach for it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if you have the like complete lack of moral values that it needs to take to become a yeah, contract gross killer. point blank uh, definitely did not sugarcoat it. It seems like a tough job. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I would want to become a contract killer, but dirty deeds done dirt, dirt cheap uh, is one of the only times <laughs> it seems sexy. Some, yeah, it kind of makes contract killing seem kind of sexy. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, number two. Number two. Um, this was a tough one. I flipped back and forth between number two and number one. I'm going to okay. say Phil Collins on the air tonight just okay. by uh, a sliver. Okay. Very close to number one. I love yeah, Phil yeah. Collins, but uh, I had to put Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers the waiting at number one ah, just by a sliver. I think okay. that song, it's a little bit more emotionally resonant than in the air tonight. Uh, maybe yeah. after I go through a divorce, I feel like I'm, it might flip, but <laughs> I think the waiting is more emotionally resonant to me. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, well, so I'm going to go, Whew. this is a tough list. Yeah. Cause it's very good. Surprisingly, this is the biggest surprise list I think we've had. It's good, but also it's also kind of the same level of good. Yeah. So like, I feel like a few of these could switch places and I would feel equally as happy if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, number five, I'm going with Jesse's girl. Yeah. That's think, good, but that just missed the cut for me. Right? Uh, I'm going to go with Jesse's Girl, and then I'm going to go with uh, Gary U.S. Bonds. There's going to be a lot of girls in my list, I feel like. <laughs> or two, at least. Well, there's literally no women on this countdown now that I'm looking at it, but I think that's probably... A lot of girls in the songs. Yeah, a lot of girls. I think most of these rock charts are sausage fests. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there haven't been a lot of women on the charts, but hey. Uh, I'm I'm... I'm going to say, uh, for number three, I'm going to go Life of Illusion. Yeah? Yeah. I like that song a lot. I like the vibe. I mean, I'm a huge Gary New uh, Gary. Gary I am, Newman? I am a big Gary Newman fan, but I'm also a big Randy Newman fan, so that vibe of like the ironic yeah. rock song mm -hmm. uh, really like hits home for me. Uh, it's kind of my wheelhouse. Uh, I'm gonna go ACDC, same slot for as you. I'm gonna go uh, number two. I had ACDC. Oh no, I'm on number two. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going number. I'm going number two with ACDC, and then I am going uh, in the air tonight of for course. number one. Yeah. Uh, ah, God, I'm bummed. The waiting didn't make it on. Uh, you know what? I'm switching it out for Jesse's Girl because I think Jesse's Girl is a fine song, but I feel like the waiting is a better song and i want it to be on this list for me yeah it's hard to leave that song off yeah 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 uh, sorry uh springfield you got bumped <laughs> spring yeah springfield got bumped. springfield Sp rick springfield has a song called i'm not bruce <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he didn't show up in californication yeah <laughs> uh gary u.s bonds god damn yeah that's a good song that's a great. That's a great year. It's a great, great yeah, week. Great week. It's a great week. Yeah, 
the year in general. I don't know, but that well, we did, yeah, because is... we did the first week of the charts and it wasn't that great. Yeah, I feel like it was okay. Yeah. It was like not one of our worst episodes in terms of songs that we talked about, but it wasn't one of the better ones. But that week, this this week, June twentieth, nineteen eighty one. I think that's one of the better lists that we've done. Yeah, let's see. Uh, we had uh, we had Rush. Actually, yeah, we had uh, Tom Sawyer, uh, Ario Spitwagon, Keep On Loving You, uh, Rush Again with Limelight, yep. Loverboy, Tor- Turn Me Loose, uh, uh, Journey, Party's Over. Oh, yeah, that was basically it. Yeah. Because <laughs> Eric Clapton, that song was uh, not great. No. It was fine, but it was not great. Not great. Uh, great. Well, this episode has been great. This episode's been great. We, I always enjoy it when it's just the two of us. Yeah, nobody just distracting us. No, nobody. We get to have a good time. Good one-on-one conversation. <laughs> well, join us next week. We will have a guest. Hopefully they won't Hopefully they won't foul things up too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, all the guests have been All the phenomenal. guests have been wonderful. Uh, uh, except for Keith Hebert. Except for Keith Hebert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh well uh, uh are we doing plugs? We've never done plugs before. No, because we? it's we don't know when these will come out. That's a good point. All right. If I plug my show, if somebody would be like, hey, that they go to the venue and it's like this venue's been closed for four years. <laughs> good point. Uh once we get these episodes on the air, we'll start doing that's what we'll if start we doing plugs. if we get these plug episodes on the air. There's one. There's one on the we'll, air? We'll talk about it later. Oh, shit. Um, it's leaked. <laughs> I'm going to call my lawyer, Adam Ferguson. Once he's done recording his podcast that where he interviews local superintendents. Yeah, on the uh, Nick Rose podcast. On the Nick Rose podcast network. Uh, well, thank you, as always, for listening. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Tune in next week. Uh, will we be discussing another chart and rock history? Uh, November 8th, 1987. No. December 9th, 1995. That, too. Uh, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.